Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. We've got the season starting in just about a week, um, so it's time to stop talking about the off season and start talking about um, the actual upcoming season. So. In today's episode, I'm going to talk through 10 unpopular opinions I have, or hot takes if you will, and make my case for why I think that they have a better chance of happening than you might think. So with that, we can just go ahead and get right into it. So my first unpopular opinion is that I believe the 76ers will finish with the best record in the NBA and will go into the playoffs as the favorites to win the Eastern Conference. Right now, I know the Celtics and the Bucks are really viewed as the top two favorites, with the Sixers as more of a secondary um, contender, along with maybe the Heat um, and some other teams maybe a little bit further behind. But I really, really loved what the Sixers did this offseason, just addressing some of the moves they made. Um, probably most notably, they signed P.J. Tucker, Um, And he is obviously a proven winner. Uh, He's made the second round in the last six seasons, and that's across four different teams. So pretty much everywhere he goes, um, they're contending. They're in the final eight teams alive at the end of the year. And he's even made the conference finals in three of the last five seasons, and those on three different teams on um, each of those seasons. So that being with the, the Rockets, the Bucks, and the Heat, obviously the Heat and... Rockets were not able to make it to the finals while the Bucks were able to win it all. So he's got championship pedigree. He's got as much experience in the playoffs as anyone has had over the last half decade or so. Um, but he also just brings a level of toughness that this team hasn't really had since Jimmy Butler left uh, back in 2019. And if you think back to when they did have Butler, I mean, that team was a lucky bounce on the Ka- Kawhi buzzer beater away from maybe winning it all. I mean, the Raptors ended up winning it. I think that Sixers team was uh, as good as a starting five as we've seen in the past 10 years, maybe even with Simmons, Redick, Butler, Tobias Harris, and Embiid. Um, their bench was really, really weak, though. So um, that was probably their Achilles heel when it came down to it. And um, a few of their guys didn't really play well in the playoffs anyway. But they really had a legit chance to make it far that season. Um, with that being said, I do think this is their best roster since then. Um, along with adding Tucker, they also signed Montrez Harrell. I know that he his value is probably not what it used to be, and he can definitely be a liability when it comes to the playoffs, but he's still a really good regular season player. He averaged around 13 a game last year with the Hornets. Um, he was He's great insurance offensively for Embiid. The backups that the Sixers have had the past few years between Drummond and uh, Paul Millsap and Dwight Howard, they're good rim runners, uh, but they're not really offensive weapons other than just putbacks and stuff like that but Montrez Harrell uh can run or can be part of a really good pick and roll um and with guys like Harden and Maxi, I think that he's gonna thrive um playing with those guys they've also got some guys in the second unit that can run that with him as well but um overall good signing I think he's a a nice player obviously if you're relying on him for big minutes down the stretch then that's not ideal but they obviously won't be him and Embiid probably won't see the floor together all season um, so he'll probably only play about 15 minutes a game, which is really all you need from him. Just a spark plug score off the bench. And then just some other moves. They signed Daniel House. He's obviously nothing special, but we've, we have seen him be successful in winning situations as more of a depth role player, uh, specifically with Houston in the past. 
can be a decent 3 and D guy, but obviously he's not going to be um, in their starting lineup or really in their top eight rotation players. So really no issue with um, him being on the team. Uh, I actually like him as like a ninth or 10th guy in general. So, And then lastly, they did swap out. Uh, tra- they traded Danny Green, who is injured actually. And um, I'm not sure if he's going to play at all this season. He's definitely going to miss the majority of it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play at all. I know he uh, got injured late in the playoffs, and I think that was an ACL injury. So he's getting up there in age anyway. His career might be pretty much done. Um, By the time he comes back, we'll see if he's the same player. But they did get DeAnthony Melton in that deal. I loved, loved this pickup for um, them. I think they traded a first-round pick as well, but it was like the 25th overall pick, somewhere in the uh, mid-20s in the first round, which probably wouldn't have turned into anything too special anyway um, unless they – Got lucky with the pick there, but Melton's probably better than anyone they would have drafted there. Certainly more experienced. Um, he's a very good perimeter defender, uh, which they definitely lacked in years past, um, especially from the guard position. Obviously, Maxi and Harden are not phenomenal defenders, and then I think Shake Milton was really their primary point guard in the past few years, and he's definitely a liability on that end. Um, he's also proven to, um, or he's an improved three point shooter. He wasn't great when he came into the league, but we've seen him seen him hit close to 40% in seasons before. So I really do like him as a, a backup guard off the bench. I think he can play with Harden, with Maxi, um, or just lead that second unit as well. Um, aside from their offseason additions, I really think they're going to benefit greatly from Harden getting a full offseason with the team. He appears to be in great shape. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's uh, can't even really remember the last time we saw Harden look in good shape in the offseason. Um, but yeah, everything we've seen, there's no reason to believe that he won't be in, in good shape. He appears it. He was making jokes at media day that he's lost 100 pounds. Obviously, he wasn't that out of shape, but um, still, the, the sentiment's there. His Houston days are obviously gone. Um, I mean, he, yeah, he's just not what he used to be when he played for the Rockets. But I do think that we could see him play... Um, to a similar level that we saw in his first season with the Nets, where his scoring took a little bit of a backseat, but he was a phenomenal lead guard um, distributing and just playmaking for the the rest of the players in the offense. He averaged 25, 9, and 8 in that first year and actually shot a 47% from the field, which was his highest field goal percentage since leaving Oklahoma City, which obviously back with the Thunder, he had a way smaller role. So... Um, 37% from three as well, which is, which is solid. Um, he's normally around that range anyway, but yeah, if he can play even close to that level, I think that that's the ideal fit for this team. I don't think they need him to be, uh, Houston Harden anyway. Um, but addition to just how he's looked, he's been saying all the right things. Um, it appears that he's finally all in, that he's actually happy where he is, He obviously took a discount to stay with the Sixers, which is not something we've seen him be willing to do in the past. Um, And then additionally, um, there's just really been no drama with him. I don't think there's going to be, assuming things go relatively well. Um, And I actually think he's probably going to be okay with being second fiddle to Embiid because obviously Embiid is um, (laughs) really good. I mean, Embiid is basically at the peak of his powers right now. He's finished second at MVP the last two seasons. Um, he probably would have won it two years ago if he hadn't missed time. Um, Jokic ended up winning that one. I think Jokic probably would have won last year anyway. But but he actually is my pick to win MVP this season. Obviously, if I say, pick, think the Sixers are going to be 
uh, have the best record in the NBA. There's obviously a large correlation between um, having the best record and having the MVP on your team. It happens pretty frequently. So um, I think Embiid's going to be as good as he's been the past few years, but they'll be just winning more. So I could definitely see him um, taking that this year. Going down kind of the rest of the roster, I think Maxi should only improve from here. Um, I'm actually not as high as Max on Maxi as some people are, mostly due to his defense um, and his size. He's kind of like an in-between as a guard. I think he's too small to play the two in a traditional uh, or on a traditional team, but he's not really a true one offensively. Um, but I don't think that really matters on this team because I feel like this is actually the perfect situation for him to be able to overcome those things just because Harden is kind of the opposite <laughs> um, and it complements him. So he is a true one offensively, but has the size of a two, whereas Maxie's is a true two offensively, but has the size of a one. So basically Harden can play the two and guard the, the shooting guards while Maxie can guard the point guards. Um, but then on offense, Harden's going to run more of the point guard and Maxie can play more off ball. Um, which I think fits both of their roles better on both sides of the ball. So um, that's why I think on this team, it, I don't think it's going to matter. But I do think if he was to go to a different team with a point guard that's more traditional, traditionally sized or a shooting guard that um, doesn't have the playmaking ability of Harden, I think it could be an awkward fit. But with that, um, I do want to see him replicate his three-point percentage. I know he was 43% last year, which is really good, but he was only 30 the year before. So we'll see. I don't think I think he'll probably end up somewhere in between this year, but I think as long as he can stay in that like 38% range, then that's going to be plenty good enough. As long as he doesn't regress down to that like 33, 34% below average a bit. But um, I also think one thing that's majorly going to benefit them this year is that in years past they've had pretty big spotlight on them and a lot of pressure to win um i mean back in 2018 they lost to the celtics without kyrie irving literally without their best player um 2019 they probably had the best roster they've had this century and they um lost in the second round i mentioned that was obviously very close but still then 2020 the total choke job to the hawks they had absolutely no business losing that series and then 2021, everything with the Ben Simmons situation, then trading for Harden. So they've been under the spotlight quite a bit. Um, and I feel like this is at least a team that's been um, talked about a pretty good bit since they've been good with their their core of Embiid and Simmons. Um, but I also think people are kind of over them as a favorite or contender. Like I said, I think the Celtics and Bucks are most people's picks as the top two teams in the East. Um, from there, you could say the Nets or the heat or calves or whoever your preference is but the sixers are definitely not in that top tier for most people at least um but i think they're drama free this year i think they'll be able to focus just on basketball i love their offseason moves i think we're going to see the best version of harden we've seen in a few years um and like i said i think Embiid is just at the peak of his powers right now and um that's what you need to really be one of the best teams in the league these days so my next take for the upcoming season is going to be that the Bulls majorly underperform and not only do they not make the playoffs, but they will not even make the play in. And as a result of that, I think Billy Donovan will be the first coach fired this season. So a few reasons why I am very down on the Bulls is last season, they could not beat a good team to save their lives. They just feasted on the bad ones and had a record good enough to sneak in uh, to the playoffs. But they actually finished 2-21 and versus the top four seeds last year, 
which obviously is not <laughs> not good. Um, the problem is I think that the league as a whole is better this year. I mean, there was just so many star players out last season with Kawhi, Simmons, Lillard, Zion, AD. I mean, other guys missed time. LeBron missed time. Um, KD missed time. There was a lot of guys that at least missed time. Kyrie was out half the year, more than half the year. Um, so I think the league, I mean, there just is more talent coming in this season across the teams. So I think there's going to be less bad teams for them to take advantage of and more good teams for them to have to beat. And so <laughs> they didn't do well with that last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's, it continues this year. I don't know why. Um, it would be majorly different. I mean, the 221's pretty, it doesn't get much worse than that. So there's a world in which they're maybe a little bit better than that. But as I said, I think overall the league's a little better. So if they want to be as good as they were last year, I think they're going to have to play better against the, the best teams. Another huge reason, and this might be one of the biggest ones, is Lonzo Ball. Um, he's obviously going to miss the start of the year. They said he's out a few months there were reports that he couldn't even run or jump. Um, he's months away, probably. Who knows how long it's going to be. And just to put into perspective um, how important he was to the team last year, they were 22-13 and 13 when he did play, and only 24-23 and 23 without him. So basically a 500 team without him, and well above 500 with him. So he definitely is a big part of what they do, brings a lot of shooting, defense, passing uh, to that starting lineup. And while I actually do like their guard depth, um, so I think that they're, they're better suited to be able, able to overcome his absence than a lot of teams would be. I mean, Ayo Desumu had a very good rookie year and looked like um, a steal in the draft, shot the ball pretty well, looks like a good defender as well. Um, they obviously still have Alex Caruso, who's a great defender, um, good te team player on offense, can knock down shots as well. Um, they also added Goran Dragic. Um, so this is probably one of the better groups of backup guards in the entire league, if I'm being honest, between those three. Um, but I'm not convinced that Dra Dragic is even any good anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, I know he only played around 20 games last year with the Nets after sitting out, being on the Raptors, but... He's 36 now, um, and he shot 38% from the field and 25% from three um, when he did play last year. So he was really bad when he played. I don't know. He might be past prime. He's also a huge liability on defense, but Crusoe and Desumu are obviously good on that end. But um, Just looking down the rest of the roster, I mean, DeRozan is 33 now, um, and strangely enough, he, he might be coming off his best season ever. But I just have major doubts that he's going to be able to replicate that, um, largely due to his age. I mean, it's pretty strange for someone to peak at 32. Um, so I don't know. I don't think he's going to peak again at 33. I could see him taking a little bit of a step backwards. And he obviously started off the year really well. I'm not, he definitely wasn't bad in the second half. Um, but if you do look at his post, pre- and post-All-Star break numbers, they were, they were all down across the board. Post-All-Star break, he averaged less points per game, less rebounds per game, less assists per game. And this is actually his minutes went up and his usage stayed exactly the same. So um, those numbers in theory should have at least stayed the same. But his offensive rating went down. His defensive rating went up. His field goal percentage was down. True shooting percentage was down. And his net rating in the first half was 
plus 5.8 and it was a negative 9.9 on the second half so analytically he played significantly worse in the second half despite um, most of his averages staying relatively the same but they there was a, sl- a slight downtick so I don't know I'm not saying he declined midseason or anything like that but we also obviously saw him play awful in the playoffs um, although that is <laughs> not unlike him back when he was with the Raptors he used to do the same thing basically after these great regular seasons and then just forget how to make shots in the playoffs. So regardless, I just don't think that he, he certainly isn't on the up and up. <laughs> I could see him taking a little bit of a step back. And even if his scoring you know, goes down a little bit, efficiency goes down a little bit, I think it'll make a little bit of a difference for them. Additionally, uh, Nikola Vucevic definitely took a step back last season. Um, it was his lowest points per game since before his first all-star appearance which was five years ago now um he's getting up there in age as well it was also his lowest three-point percentage he's ever had since he started shooting them basically since he had more than one attempt at 31 percent so that's one of those like you want your it's great to have your center be able to uh, space the floor so that he's not so we can just fit in more with modern basketball today uh, but at the same time if he's going to shoot that low of a percentage then it's probably <laughs> not good that he's shooting three attempts per game or something like that so regardless he he clearly didn't look like his peak orlando days at all and then probably the biggest thing is that i'm just very very concerned with their defense zach levine demar rosen nikola vucevic all major defensive liabilities and none of them are going to get better i mean levine is maybe could get a little better because he's still on the younger side but DeRozan and Vucevic are obviously not improving on that end. And those are really their three best players, so they're going to need to be on the court for them to compete offensively, which means they're going to have to overcome their defensive shortcomings pretty consistently. And like I said, they do have some defense, good defensive guards with Caruso and Desumu, um, but they don't really have any reliable wing defenders or proven guys other than maybe Patrick Williams. Um, and I, I like him. People do like him. But he's had a small sample size. He's basically only played the equivalent of one full season. So who knows how good he is. Um, He's played pretty well on defense, but he's certainly not some defensive stopper um, that can stop your best player every night. So they also have very little depth um, on the wing or um, with their big guys. I mean, they have Andre Drummond, (laughs) um, who's the backup center. So that that's two pretty two uh, pretty big and slow centers to have, um, and Drummond really has proven to be nothing more than just a, a old big name, um, kind of an empty stats guy. We we've seen that he can't really stay on the floor in a playoff series. Just an old playing style back to the basket guy who really was never even that good at that <laughs> when he was in his prime, and then they've got Derek Jones Jr. He is just not very good. I mean, he can't shoot at all. He can't do much on offense, really, other than he's a phenomenal dunker. <laughs> not sure that helps with winning at all, but he's fine on defense. He's not some shutdown guy. He's average on that end. So, And that's really it. I mean, they've got Javante Williams, um, uh, Dalen Terry, I believe, was uh, their first-round pick this year. Who knows if he's going to get uh, regular minutes. Kobe White is also awful on defense, though. Can provide some... Um, offense off the bench but i'm really concerned with their defense it wasn't very good last year and i don't see how it's going to improve especially with lonzo ball being out for a while 
So overall, I think that um, they've basically proven they can't hang with the best teams. They've got two uh, star players that are past their, past their prime and probably only getting worse. Um, the starting point guard could be out for who knows how long. Um, they have basically no depth on the wings, um, no depth uh, in their big man rotation. And then they have just defensive liabilities throughout their whole lineup. Um, really only their guards um, are good on deep. And you can really only play two of them at a time because they're all like point guard sized. So um, yeah, I'm worried for them. And just relating it back to Billy Donovan, so far in Chicago, he's got exactly a 77 and 77 record. So right at 500, I think if he has a sub 500 year and they miss the playoffs, I don't see how he sticks around for another season. Um, and every year there's usually at least one to two coaches fired midseason. So if they start slow, like I think they will, then I think he definitely gets canned um, at some point during the season. But like I said, I really think they could even miss the plan entirely. Um, I think there's plenty of teams that are not expected to finish ahead of them that could finish ahead of them. Um, so, yeah. So my next one, um, probably even a little more hot than the first two, I think the Grizzlies are going to be a play-in team. I know people really like them. Um, a lot of people view them as potential even contenders this year, top four seed. I know they won 56 games last year. They were the two seed in the East, but I think they are due for some regression and they're going to take a step back. So just starting off with their um, rotation, they lost two major rotation pieces um, in D'Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson, and they really didn't replace them with anybody. Um, I mean, Melton played 73 games for them, started 15. He was sixth on the team in minutes with 23, so he basically was their sixth man. Averaged 11, 5, and 3, 37% from three, which was actually second on the team among guys that were in the top eight for minutes. So um, they didn't actually have a lot of good... Uh, Desmond Bain was first. After him, they really didn't have another good three-point shooter in their top eight um, outside of Melton. So... And also, Melton's a, a very good defender as well. So, um, which is an area where John Morant and Tyus Jones, who will be their two point guards this year, actually both struggle pretty mightily. So, I think that they're going to miss him more more than you think. Um, and then Kyle Anderson is also gone. He played a lot more two years ago, but even last year he was sixty nine games, eleven starts. He was eighth on the team in minutes, eight points, five rebounds, three assists. Decent player, obviously nothing special, but someone's got to obviously fill that role. So. The only real additions that they made to replace any of those guys were Danny Green, who's probably not going to play all year, so he doesn't even really count. Um, and then they drafted Jake uh, LaRavia and David Roddy. Both these guys were late first-round picks that actually they took pretty well above um, where they were projected to go in the draft. So I, I'm not saying they're not going to be good. I just... they. Uh, Roddy was definitely a projected second rounder, and LaRavia was probably late first, but um, I think they took him in the teens, and he was more of a mid-20s to late-20s projection. So who knows if either of them are going to, how much they'll contribute. Um, I don't imagine that either of them will get big minutes right away, so obviously someone else is going to have to step up for, for them. And so um, the other option is obviously internal improvement of guys they do have. So just going through guys that could potentially take a step up this year. Um, John Conchar, I think he played um, a little bit down the stretch when they were injured. I think they had a few games where they had a, a 
almost the entire team injured and he he played well in those games but I will he's never averaged five points per game so he's obviously very unproven who knows if he could actually be a, le, a legit rotation guy in, on a playoff team um, then we've got Tyus Jones he did have an average a career high 8.7 points per game last year um, but it's primarily been like a third point guard um, he's played back up a little bit but not big minutes and he's definitely a defensive liability though he he's a very very uh, efficient offensive player just in terms of taking care of the ball I think he's been like top of the league in assisted turnover ratio for a few years now but but still you can't really play him and John Morant together they're just going to be too bad off uh, defensively at the guard position and then lastly Zaire Williams so he's obviously the biggest candidate for stepping up and taking some of those minutes specifically from Anderson though he did shoot only 31% from three last year um, he was super raw in college that very inefficient but he definitely showed flashes last year. So I do actually think he's going to be a good player. I know they've got great development system there in, in Memphis anyway. So I have no doubt that he'll turn into a fine player. But regardless, um, they lost some guys, didn't really replace them with equal um, pieces to replace them. And they certainly didn't add anybody to improve the team. Um, so I'm just a little concerned with the talent across their roster. Um, additionally... Uh, obviously big elephant in the room here is Jaron Jackson Jr., who's also injured and seems to always be injured. Um, he's going to miss a big chunk of the season. He had surgery in the offseason. Last time was his first time ever playing 60 games in a season. Um, he's averaged 51 games played per season, so he's pretty much missed 20 to 30 games every single year. He's already going to probably miss around that time this year as well. Not to mention that I'm just not a big Jaron Jackson fan in general. I think he's generally overrated by um, the media. He's definitely a phenomenal shot blocker. And he's a good shooter for his size because um, he's nearly seven foot. But it's not like he's some knockdown shooter if you look at him just across league average. So he's got a lot of flaws too. He's career almost four fouls per game. He has a ton of trouble staying on the floor always in foul trouble i mean we saw it last year in the playoffs he fouled out a few times um he just yeah <laughs> so it's tra it's a trade-off with the shot blocking you're going to get a lot of that but he's also going to foul a lot he's also a career 1.2 assists per game so not a playmaker at all can't really do anything for anyone else he doesn't have good handles he's not going to dribble uh into the paint create for himself either he's also only a career f uh five rebounds per game despite being basically seven feet i mean he's he's arguably the worst rebounder at his size in the entire league. I mean, last year he only shot 42% from the field, actually a little bit below 41% and 32% from three. So he wasn't efficient either. Um, so I'm not really sure what he's like above average at besides maybe shooting. But again, he was only 32% and shot blocking. Um, he's a bad rebounder, doesn't do any, no playmaking for himself or others on offense. He foul, He's a foul machine. Um, and it's not like he's out there guarding guards. He's not a super versatile defender, though. He's certainly not a liability there. Um, but yeah, he's an interesting player, but I don't think he's like anything to write home about. And then if you just look at the, at the second best players on the top, I think there's pretty much a consensus top nine in the West right now. But if you look at the second best player on each of those teams, the Warriors, either Clay or Draymond, Clip, the Clippers, Paul George, Nuggets, Jamal Murray, maybe Michael Porter Jr. if he takes the leap. Suns, Chris Paul, 
The Lakers, Anthony Davis. The Pelicans, Brandon Ingram. The Timberwolves, either Gobert or Anthony Edwards or Cat, depending on how good Ant is. Who knows who the second, what the order there is going to be. And then the the Mavs have Christian Wood or Dinwiddie, so I think they're on par with like the not very good second best player. And then the Grizzlies have probably Jaron Jackson, but I I honestly think Bain is better than him. But regardless, Bain is by far the weakest second best player among that group, other than Wood and Dinwiddie. Um, but I just think Luca is like so damn good that it's not going to matter for them. Um, he's like you you're not going to be in the plan or worse with Luca on your team. But I don't know if Jaw has that same sort of ability to make you have a floor um, the way Luca does. So, like I said, I just don't love their roster. I think they lack star power. I think their depth got worse. I still think they'll make the playoffs just because Taylor Jenkins normally gets the best out of his team, which we've seen over the past few years. Plus, I think John Morant is a top 15 player, and having him on your team gives you a a relatively high floor. Obviously, I just said not as high as someone like Luka, but definitely there is an established floor when you've got a guy like him on your team. So... Um, and with that being said, I, I don't think they're going to be like the 10 seed or something like that. I think 7 seed is probably where I'm projecting them right now, um, which obviously still would put them in the play and I would expect them to win that first playing game and finish as that 7 seed. But I definitely don't think they're going to be as good as people are making them out to be just because I think the West has gotten significantly stronger with guys coming back from injury. And the Grizzlies are really the only team that didn't get any better. And I think by not getting better you're getting worse um, in the West this season. Okay, so next, I think that the Lakers are going to be a little bit better than people expect, and I think they'll actually avoid the play-in and get a top six seed. So this is pretty easy to get sucked into every single year. (laughs) Um, I know people were sucked back into it last year when they picked up Westbrook the year before everyone had him as probably the top team in the West. But LeBron and AD are, I guess, supposedly back healthy. And at the end of the day, they are both two top 15 guys. Um, LeBron is was still phenomenal last year, 30 points per game. AD was pretty disappointing when he did play, but we still can't discount just how freaking talented this guy is. Um, and just to put it into perspective... The Lakers actually have a 75 and 33 record when they both play, which is actually a 57 win pace. And if you want to say, okay, the 2020 team was much better, they won the championship, um, it's a different looking team now, they had a really good record. Even if we exclude that, so just from 2021 and on, so the two, past two seasons, they're 30 and 19 when they both play, which is still good for 50 win pace. So the point is when both of them play, they've been really solid. I believe last year they only had 21 games together. It wasn't as good of a record as those other seasons, but it was still above 500. So um, obviously they were didn't even make the play-in last year. And I think if they both had been healthy, they probably would have made the playoffs, but... I know we can't count on them to play 82 games, but even if they can just get 55 games together, I think they should be able to um, survive enough to be a solid team. They just have to not be atrocious for the <laughs> 25 games when 
um, without both of them, and hopefully at least one of them is playing for at least some of that time. But again, I don't think we can necessarily assume injury, so I'm going to assume at least some health. Um, I don't think there's any way AD can... Well, I'll say this. If, <laughs> if Davis, for example, misses half the season again, that'll be basically three straight years. And at that point, I will write him off. But I'm going to give him one last chance um, to s- think he could be at least relatively healthy. And again, I think Lakers could be solid if both of them are playing. And just looking at the rest of the team. So there's three other reasons why I think they could be decent. Their supporting cast still isn't great, but at least it's a little better from last year. So they went from Malik Monk, Taylor Horton Tucker, Avery Bradley, Mello, Stanley Johnson, and Dwight Howard to Patrick Beverly, Dennis Schroeder, Kendrick Nunn, Thomas Walker, Lonnie Walker, sorry, Thomas Bryant, Lonnie Walker, um, Juan Toscano-Anderson, and I think Austin Reeves, who was on the team last year, is going to get more minutes this year. So it's not like those additions are anything to blow you away, but I do like them a little bit better than the year before. I think Nunn and Schroeder gave you way more scoring and reliable ball handling than they had from anyone last year. Not to say you want those guys as your um, top options, but they're better options than um, Mello and Monk where they're leading guys off the bench last year. And Monk's fine as a catch-and-shoot guy, but at least those guys can handle the ball a little better. And we do forget Kendrick Nunn was quite good with the Heat a few years ago. I mean, he won Rookie of the Year and then followed it up with a very nice sophomore campaign as well. So I see no reason why he couldn't be a 13 to 15 point per game scorer. We've seen Schroeder do the same thing. So Also, I do actually like the Pat Bev um, addition. He's a proven winner. He brings toughness. He brings defense. He's made the playoffs nine out of his 10 seasons. And actually, the only one he did miss is uh, a year in which he only played 11 games. So he, he wasn't even really like on the team. Um, and that was a rebuilding Clippers team back in 2018. But his career record is thir- 327 and 199, which is a 62% win rate and actually equates to a 51-win season. So that's pretty impressive. He's pretty much winning 50 games every single year. And it, he's had some good teammates, but it's not like he's on some stacked team every year. Um, I mean... The Wolves were a perennial lottery team before he got there, and they made the playoffs. Um, then he also took a Clippers team that had, after they traded Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and before Kawhi and Paul George. So there's no all-stars on that team, and not only did they make the playoffs, they actually took the Warriors with the Kevin Durant Warriors to six games in the first round, which is super impressive. Also, um, I think a, a coaching change is going to be good for this team. Darvin Ham is... Um, said all the right things about how he wants to utilize Russell Westbrook, which has obviously been a big topic. Um, He's mentioned things like having him cut to the basket more, shoot more corner threes as opposed to top of the key, um, limit mid-range shots, and focus on him playing better defense. So obviously all those things are easier to say um, than actually implement in reality. But I did watch some of the Lakers preseason game and um, Russ was doing a little bit more of those things. He actually made three corner threes in just the first half. I, he didn't take any mid-range shots, so he looked pretty good overall. Um, and at the end of the day, let's say things don't change with Russ. It's still an issue. Then they're going to trade him. There's just no scenario in which the Lakers, like, it's still a shit show with Russ, and they just keep him through the end of the year. Like, they will panic trade him, and it'll make the team better. Might it be good for them in the long run, but it will. 
Um, obviously, the Buddy Heald and Miles Turner package has been mentioned. And just thinking of a lineup with Beverly, Heald, LeBron, AD Turner, that's a very solid lineup. Their bench still would have some major question marks, but it's a better team than they have now, um, unless Russ finds a way to fit in a little bit better. So the way I see it, there's two scenarios. It's not working with Russ, and they trade him for a, a, uh, just to change the team a little bit, or it is kind of working with Russ, and then maybe they keep him, but... If that's the case, then I would assume they're probably winning a little bit. So, Do I think they're going to be championship contenders? No, I do not. Um, unless maybe some scenario where they, LeBron and AD play 82 games and they make some trade for us that works perfectly, then maybe. But I, I, I don't see that happening. Um, but do I think they'll be better than most people think? Yes. I think they're pretty much consensus not in the top eight for most people. Um I think most people have the Warriors, Suns, Clippers, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Pelicans, Mavericks, and Wolves all ahead of them. Um, and so, I don't know. I think maybe the lowered expectations will be good for them as well. Kind of how we mentioned with the Sixers earlier as well. The Lakers have been picked to like be win the West the past few years. And so, I think that people think they're going to miss the playoffs. I, I don't know. I just got this weird feeling they're going to be better than we think. And the, the pieces might mesh a little bit better. Um, than, but we'll see. I still think LeBron's got some um, juice in the tank and AD as well. So, as I just mentioned, with the Lakers making the playoffs and there being a clear top nine, that means that someone in that top nine has to miss the playoffs. Um, and so my next take is going to be that the Timberwolves are the odd team out and they do not make the playoffs. So, like I said, the likely consensus top nine in some order is the Warriors, Suns, Clippers, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Lakers, Pelicans, Mavericks, and Timberwolves. And I think that the likely locks to make the playoffs, barring some sort of injury, would be the Warriors, the Clippers, the Suns, the Nuggets, and the Mavericks. I think the Warriors, Clippers, Suns, and Nuggets just have clearly the top four rosters. Um, they, they've got star power, they've got depth, they've got experience, they've got good coaching. Um, so I think all of those teams have no chance. And then the Mavericks... I don't love their roster. I didn't love their offseason. I think they are they might have just downgraded a little bit, losing Brunson and not replacing him with anybody really except Christian Wood, but obviously very different position, so it's not really a one-to-one. -one. But I just think Luka is just like on another level and could win MVP if they have a good enough record. And so I don't think Luka misses the playoffs unless he gets hurt or something. So that leaves the four teams, the Lakers, Grizzlies, Pelicans, and T-Wolves. You've already heard me go on my Lakers spiel, so I, I won't beat that horse to death. Um, the Grizzlies, I know I said I'm low on them. However, I think that, like I said, Taylor Jenkins gets the most out of his teams. Um, John Morant is just too good. And also, they were a 56-win team last season. So I don't think that... That would be a pretty big drop-off for them to win 56 games, bring back large, mostly the same roster, and then miss the playoffs. So I don't think I see that happening, even with um, me being a little lower on them and um, Jaron Jackson Jr. being out for a little bit. So that leaves two teams left, the Pelicans and the T-Bulls. Um, and really what it comes down to for me between these two teams, these are two teams that both made the playoffs. Um, and so I kind of am going to judge it on what I saw in the playoffs. Um, the Pelicans were, they looked scrappy. 
They were very well coached by Willie Green, who I think is going to be a, a really good coach for some time now. Um, they made really good adjustments game to game, even in game. I mean, we saw a ton of times, like game one of the Sun series, they, I mean, they're, they, I think they scored like 25 points in the first half, and people were bringing out the brooms, saying how it was like the best defensive half, half they'd ever seen. And then they ended up cutting it down to like five in the fourth quarter or something. So they were able to make some adjustments for sure. Um, and they really played their best basketball when it mattered. I mean, the addition of CJ McCollum obviously made a huge difference for them. Um, so they'll have them for the full season. I know their record was not great last year. I think they were 10 games under 500, but they were definitely above 500 with CJ McCollum. Um, I didn't look at the exact record, but um, I've seen before, I believe it's somewhere in the 45 win um, pace. But the only reason they really lost in the playoffs is because they were less talented than the Suns. But what better <laughs> infusion of talent is there than adding a 27-point-per-game scorer that shoots 60% from the field, um, which is what they're getting when Zion comes back this year. So, um, Like I said with the Lakers, guys, I'm not going to assume injury. I, my assumption is that uh, Zion's going to play and he's going to be good. Um, I think people are forgetting how good he was. Shooting 60% from the field is ridiculous for his volume of scoring, and especially at such a young age. So he also looks to be in great shape. I think he's going to have a phenomenal season. I wouldn't be surprised if he won the scoring title, made All-NBA, something along those lines. But I also really like their depth. Um, I mean, they've got good backup guards, and we saw Jose Alvarado be very effective in the playoffs. Devontae Graham, um, good shooter off the bench, could play make a little bit. Trey Murphy showed flashes. Um, especially from uh, three-point range. Larry Nance is a very solid backup big, and Jackson Hayes is uh, still pretty good and um, young. So I like their depth. I think they have a very good mix of young talent and veterans, um, specifically with McCollum and Valanchunas as the, the veteran presence there. Um, and I also think they have a ton of room for guys to improve or step up. I mean, like I said, I think Trey Murphy could take a leap this year. Herb Jones is being raved about by Willie Green for a second year in a row, and he clearly was right the first time. So um, Hayes could uh, step up a little bit as well. I also liked their first-round draft pick with Dyson Daniels this year. Um, I know he didn't play in summer league because he was injured, so I'm not sure what his timetable is. But regardless, um, I like what they've got. I also love Willie Green. I think he's great. So. And then opposed to what I saw from the Wolves in the playoffs, I saw a very talented team, um, probably more talented than the Grizzlies, who they played, if we're being honest. I mean, you, he you heard me talk about the Grizzlies roster. John Morant is probably the best player between the both teams, but the next three picks might be <laughs> off the Wolves, at least the next two for sure, with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, and they had other good pieces on the on the team as well, but... They choked games away. They blew leads. I mean, I think they had multiple games where they blew 20-point leads in that series. They had no business losing. They were they looked like the better team in the first half most of the time, but then when it came down to it, they would choke it away. Um, they make bad decisions in crunch time, and they played their worst when it mattered the most. So um, just in terms of question marks, I'm still terrified of D'Angelo Russell and like on a winning team. I just don't think he can... He's too bad of a decision maker to lead a good team. Uh, I think he's best suited as a sixth man on a good team, but obviously they don't have anyone to start over him, and I, he's making too much money for that, and he's not going to accept that role probably anyway. But I also am not really sure about the Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns fit. Um, I'm excited to see it. I don't know. It could be really good. It could be bad. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I think defensively, I mean, having both those guys out there, there's a lot of opportunity for guards to attack them. Um, and then offensively, I think it'll be fine. I mean, Cat was playing with like guys that were more of a rim runner dunker spot anyway last time with last year with like Vanderbilt, for example. But so offensively, I think it'll be fine. I'm more a little uh, not worried, but just interested to see what it looks like on defense. And then I also just really don't like their bench. Um, Austin Rivers is just he is what he is at this point. Bryn Forbes can shoot, but pretty much does literally nothing else. Eric Pascal's can kind of score, but he's not a good shooter, not good on defense. Tareen Prince, kind of same thing, can score, but not a great shooter, not great on defense. And then Jaden McDaniels is a nice piece. But, yeah, their bench is nothing special, not phenomenal. Um, I don't like their wing depth. I don't like their backup guards. On top of that, um, I'm not totally convinced on Chris Finch, their coach. He obviously had a good season with them last year, but I want to, would like to see it again. It was really their first year being – a competent team. I mean, they've been stuck in like the Kings territory of the standings for a few years now. Um, and we're even worse than that before. But with all that being said, I do want to preface that I still think they're a very good team. I think that the top nine is really, really tough this year. And obviously someone has to miss the playoffs. So I genuinely think, I don't know if it's going to be the Timberwolves. That would be my pick if everyone's healthy. The odds of everyone being healthy is probably very, very low. Um, so I think ultimately the team that misses is probably going to be the one that gets hurt um, and they'll miss the playoffs. But it's really just more of a testament to how good the the top of the West is. And so I'm picking the Wolves. I still think they're going to win around 45 games. I think they're over-under is 48 and a half. So I think they'll be a little under that. Not significantly. Um, so 45-win team, it's a good team. But like I said, someone has to miss the playoffs, obviously. There can only be eight teams, so unfortunately, because it, it'll be played out in the play-in, I saw them play in the playoffs last year. I didn't love when I saw, so I, I don't really trust them in the big moment. So my next one will be that there will be four teams with 20 or less wins, because I think teams are going to be tanking hard for Wambayama. Um, he's <laughs> We've obviously watched over the last week or so him playing against the G League teams, and he's looked crazy good. I mean, people are calling this guy the next or the best process, prospect since LeBron, and obviously that worked out very well. Um, <laughs> um, Scoot Henderson also has looked really good. Uh, he's going to be a phenomenal consolation prize for whoever gets the number two pick. But because of, there's just these two far and away above the rest of the field prospects and both seem like can't miss specifically one by Yama. I mean, this guy has been being advertised as a generational guy and he looks it. I mean, he's literally seven, four. He handles the bar ball like a guard. He shoots the ball like a guard. He can shoot off the dribble, step back, fade away. Uh, <laughs> he's blocking shots left to right. He looks absurd. Um, I would bet my money. He'll be a good player, obviously as most people would, but just to talk about why this is sort of a hot take, in the last 10 seasons, um, I'll just read through how many 20 or less win teams there were. Um, so in 2022, there was one. 2021, there was one. 2020, there was one. 2019, there was three. 2018, there was zero. 2017, there was one. 2016, there was two. 2015, there was two. 2014, there was two. 2013, there was one. So that's an average of 1.4, and there's never more than three. Um, 
so it's obviously not common for there to be more than one to two and sometimes it's equally as common for there to be zero as there is to be more than two so it's happened at least in the last 10 years but i think that there's five teams that have absolutely zero incentive to win this season that being the pacers the spurs the thunder the rockets and the jazz um, and you could throw these next two teams in. I think these two might actually make a push to win because they've already got the top pick in the past few years. They got their franchise guy. Um, but they still probably could end up competing for a high lottery pick. That's the Pistons and the Magic. So that's seven teams right there who, for all likelihood, have almost no chance to make the playoffs. And there's no reason for them to try to. Um, and then there's also six teams that I think if things start a little slow, then... Uh, they might just shut everyone down, those being the Blazers, Kings, Wizards, Knicks, Bulls, and Hornets. Those are kind of the mediocre in the middle teams. Probably not going to make the playoffs, but they've got um, too much talent to really bottom out unless they sat some guys. And I know you're thinking there's no way those teams would be close enough to get a top pick, but just last year, the Blazers were picked to make the playoffs by many. They won 27 games. The Pacers were picked to make the playoffs by many. They won 25 games. Um, they both got off to bad starts. They both have had some injuries. So that combination kind of can lead to a lot worse of a record than you think. I mean, the Pacers were had made the playoffs the last two years. Um, had looked like they had a strong team coming in, and they literally lost 57 games, which is uh, quite a bit. So... I think any of those teams could bottom out. I know we saw Lamilla Ball um, tonight, actually, in a preseason game. Looked like he tweaked his ankle. So <laughs> even something like that, I think, could be low-key a blessing in disguise for one of these teams. So I don't know. But with that being said, I think that once – I don't think right away this is going to be a thing, but I think once we reach like January, February, people are going to be very aggressive with – benching guys and tanking um and it makes sense i mean how can you blame them if if i was a rockets fan i'd be pretty pissed if we're um <laughs> going out there trying super hard in february march time frame but we'll see so that's that's i think i have four teams my pick for those four would be the pacers spurs thunder and rockets um I feel less good about the Rockets. I think the other three are going to be really, really bad because SGA for the Thunder is already not playing to start the year. Chet is obviously out for the year. So I think that they their roster is really bad. The Spurs roster is really bad. The Pacers at least have Halliburton. And then they've got some vets with Heald and Miles Turner, but I would be shocked if those guys finished the season on that team. Um, like we said earlier, they might end up flipping those guys for Russ. Who knows? But more incentive to trade them is so that they can just be bad right away. I think the Jazz probably have too many good players right now, but I think they will obviously get rid of a lot of their players, that being like Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson. I think those guys are still going to get dealt. They might even deal Malik Beasley, for example. And the Pistons and Magic are kind of interesting. I don't know if they're going to be bad enough. I kind of like their teams, like not to make the playoffs, but I like both of them um, to be a little bit better than people might expect. So we'll see. But yeah. I think it's going to be Tankapalooza for these guys, um, and someone's going to get very lucky um, with the number one pick and pretty lucky with the number two pick and then very disappointed with the, the rest of the picks, especially if they're in that top four um, lottery. So this next one, um, my dad's probably going to kill me when he hears this one, but I have the Celtics not being a top five seat. Um, 
I want to preface again, similar to some of the takes I've had. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to be in the play-in. When I say not top five, I'm very strategically saying that because I think they'll probably be the sixth seed. That's my prediction for them. Um, and I know they were the two seed last year and they did make the finals, but I have a, a good amount of reasons here why I think that they won't be able to replicate that. So I just want to remind everyone that they actually did start season, last season 18 and 21. They were three games under um, 500, basically halfway through the season. And at the 50-game mark, they were 500. They were 25 and 25. And then the season before, um, they were 36 and 36. That's what they finished. So they were exactly a 500 team for a 122-game span um, before they got hot at, at the end of last season. That is a massive sample size uh, for a team to be 500 with largely the same pieces. I know the teams uh, season to season weren't identical, but... It was not too different of a roster. I mean, their core guys were basically there. Um, obviously, the biggest difference is that Tatum and Brown are probably better, um, and they might have filled out the roster a little bit better. But again, it's the same core for the most part. So getting into sort of the playoffs, and I know they made the finals, but I think everyone, myself included, uh, would be lying if they didn't say that they thought the Bucks probably would have beat them if Middleton had been healthy. Um, I mean, not having him just affects in so many ways. Obviously, the 20-plus points per game you're getting out of him that has to be replaced somewhere else. Um, but he's also a solid and consistent defender that you lose. And they're really, their only replacements for him were Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen. And those guys were getting attacked constantly in the playoffs, especially Grayson Allen. I mean, that he was such a liability. They were attacking him left and right, and he probably wouldn't have been able to not be on the floor as much had Middleton been out there. Additionally, they had to basically take a bunch of plays out of their playbook. I mean, Middleton and Giannis, um, their pick and roll was probably their best offensive set, um, at least one of the best. Um, and they are got great chemistry running that. Middleton has... Uh, uh, very good ability to handle the ball in the pick and roll, which a lot of guards don't, and a lot of the rest of their guards don't. Um, Drew Holiday is really the only one that can um, try to replicate it, but the problem is he's just not the same scoring threat, especially off the dribble and on a pull-up uh, mid-range, for example. He's just not as effective there, and we've seen him be very inconsistent throughout the playoffs in the past few, few seasons. So, It also just makes it way easier to guard Giannis because you can clog the lane, double team, and there's no really concern for him kicking out to a consistent th scoring threat. You might have a guy with shooting a wide open three, but that's really the only thing you have to worry about. It's not like you're going to kick it out to Pat Connaughton and be worried he's going to head fake and two dribble into the <laughs> mid-range for a pull-up, for example. And on top of all that, the Bucks were still up 3-2, and it took uh, the game of a lifetime for Tatum in game six and the game of a lifetime for grant williams in game seven to just barely beat them in seven i know game seven was a blowout but um game six was not so it took like the best games of those guys lives um just to win that series and even if they go on to win that the heat were really banged up to um tyler harrow missed three games and he was limited to only six minutes in game seven he was just god-awful when he played. He shot 37% from the field, 7% from three. Clearly wasn't himself um, when he was playing. Um, Lowry as well missed two games. He shot 29% from the field, 27% from three. Also clearly wasn't himself. I mean, that's two of their top five guys that 
missed multiple games and they probably were even the team was probably worse when they did play just because how ineffective they were due to their injuries but obviously it's the playoffs you're going to try and get out there but so they got some good injury breaks in the playoffs i know that they had their own injuries i think marcus smart missed a few games uh robert williams missed a few games um but no 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 significant time was missed um i also would argue that robert williams getting injured is not <laughs> unlucky because it happens all the time <laughs> you kind of have to just assume robert williams is going to get injured because he's never not getting injured so i just want to put it out there that are we sure they didn't just get hot for a few months and then run into some injury luck in the playoffs um like were they really able to just play 120 games of mediocre 500 ball and then they just flipped a switch because they traded Dennis Schroeder <laughs> um, so I don't know I just think let's say the Celtics lose in the second round to the Bucks last year do you think they'd, they'd be the favorites on Vegas because they are right now do you think that they would have the highest win total over and under because they do right now I just don't think that they would um, even if they were the same team but they um, Middleton had played and they lost for example So, and this is something I am very very willing to be wrong on in, in terms of like if it was a fluke um i just want to see a bigger sample size if next year they win 60 games i'll shut up and i'll never bring that up again they clearly did flip a switch <laughs> um but i want to see it and then there's a few other things that concern me um with this year's team so al Horford played 69 games last year he really revived his play that was pretty close to how he played in his first stint with the celtics um he started every single playoff game uh and he played over 35 minutes a game so and he honestly elevated his game in the playoffs. He was seemed like their second best player at times. But he's now 36, and he'll be 37 by the season's end. So I'm just not entirely convinced that he can replicate that um, or that he'll be healthy for that much longer. I, I could be wrong. We were seeing guys playing later into their careers. But as a big guy, um, I do have some concerns. It would have been nice to be able to rest him a little bit more this year. And Gallinari was supposed to be the guy um, that provided that insurance because they they have a lot of the same similar um, strengths to their game in terms of just good passing ability, good shooters, versatile guys. Um, so I think Gallo being out is a pretty big blow to them because now they're really going to rely on Horford. Um, and another reason they're going to rely really heavily on Horford is because Robert Williams. He's, he's going to be out to start the season. Um, He's played 174 games in four years. That is 44 games per season. So he basically misses half of the year every year. Um, he's missed time in the playoffs too. He's already going to miss a large portion of the upcoming season. And um, I don't remember exactly what his timetable was, but that was just to continue basketball activity, not get on the court in an NBA game. And I'm sorry with his injury history, I just can't give him the benefit of the doubt on a quick recovery um, wouldn't be surprised if he misses half the season again. Um, and until we see him not miss half the season, I think we've got to just assume that he is going to miss half the season. So if we're looking at their bigs, no Gallinari, no Robert Williams for most of the, most of the year. You're, you got a, you got a Horford. Um, like I said, he's 36. Um, and then after that, you're going to rely on guys like Grant Williams, who has proven to be a inconsistent but good rotation piece. Sam Hauser, who's a... a Pretty much a no-name, very unproven guy at this point. Luke Cornett, who also very unproven. And then Blake Griffin, who's completely washed and past his prime. So I'm just a little concerned um, with that part of the rotation. Maybe they'll trade for somebody. 
maybe Horford is able to play 70 games again and still be as good as he was, then obviously that concern would be alleviated a bit. But yeah, I don't love that. <laughs> um, just going down some more of the roster, I just want to bring up Marcus Smart. Um, people got really high in him last year, but he still shot under 42% from the field. He was 33% from three. Um, I mean, the three seasons before that, since he became a starter, he was 40% and 33 from three, 38% from the field, 35% from three, 42% from the field, 36 from three. So he's clearly a below average three-point shooter. He's hovers around 40% from the field, which also is very much not good. Um, he's really one of the worst guards at shooting in the league with the amount of volume that he has. And his decision-making has been pretty sporadic throughout his career, whether it just be shot selection or uh, turning the ball over. And he he got better with that last year, um, at least on the, the passing part of things. Just, But he, it still came out some games. Um, so I don't know. I'm just not sure that we're like, oh, Marcus Smart's just good now. Um, I want to see it again. And again, it's not like his stats were great. Um, I think ESPN had him in the top 40 in rankings. That's like pretty absurd to me. I mean... He's 12 points a game on a terribly inefficient shooting. So, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm still, I've never been a big smart guy. but And then lastly, this has to be mentioned, is Ime Yudoka. Um, his presence with the team was massive, obviously. Not only is his absence just a loss, but the uncertainty of what actually happened is clearly looming. Um, I mean, the players... Their reactions at media day were as if they didn't even really know what happened, um, which is not a good thing. Obviously, I mean, there's it needs to be brought to there needs to be some clarity on it, and I think the players are still gonna um, be a little confused until they're out of the dark on that. And then, so they have Joe Mazzulla now. He's only 34, so yep, two years younger than Al Horford, um, and he's only been an assistant for three years. Um, and he didn't play in the NBA, so I just I know we've seen younger coaches, guys like Ty Lue, Willie Green, Jason Kidd, but I I'm a little less with them. They played in the league, and some of them were. I mean, Jason Kidd was obviously a really good player. The other two, not so much. But at least they've been there. They can relate to the players. They're going to garner that respect because they've been in the league. Same with Yudoka. He was a he was just a role player, but he played in the league. Missoula. It's, I don't I don't know. We'll see with him. Maybe he'll be good. I think there's one or two scenarios that come of this. Either he gets an offer to become a full-time head coach after this season, or he never coaches again, depending on if he's good or bad. But we'll see. Um, I don't know what I think of that. But I do like the Brogdon edition. Um, but with Gallinari and uh, Robert Williams out, I think they're really like one injury away from having a depth issue. Um do I think they will be a catastrophe? No. Do I think they'll be a 500 team? No. Do I think they'll miss the playoffs? No. Do I think that we need to temper our expectations um, and question if they should be the favorite for a team that had three good months, is already pretty injured, and has an unproven coach because of an organizational scandal? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I still have the Celtics winning like um 48-ish games somewhere in that range 48 to 50 like I still think they'll be a good team um I just think that I could see four or five teams finishing ahead of them 
I know they're over under is like 53 and a half. So it's not like I have them majorly under. Um, and I, to be honest, even if they go in as a six seed, I think they totally could knock off the three seed depending on who it is, obviously. Um, so we'll see. I just am, I want to see it play out a little bit. And I think it's just kind of wild that they're the favorites, especially when you consider they just lost to the Warriors. Why, why would the Warriors not be ahead of them? What did you see of that series to make you think that just adding Malcolm Brogdon makes a huge difference. So, I don't know. Up next, I've got Paolo Bancara will make the All-Star game as a rookie, and the Magic will make the plan. So, anyone who's listened to my pod before knows that I'm very high on Paolo Bancara, very high on him going into the draft. I was adamant he should be the number one pick, then he was the number one pick. He looked very good in Summer League. Um... And in preseason so far, he's leading the Magic in scoring. Um, only 12 points per game, but it's preseason. And he's only playing 22 minutes. He's obviously going to be in the 30-minute-plus range. Um, he hasn't shot the ball super great, but he's been getting the free throw line. Um, and he leads the team in shot attempts. So still plenty to think that he could have a really good year um, to be encouraged about there. Um, like I said, overall, he's extremely polished. I think he's going to average 20 points per game right away. Um, he's very good in the mid-range, especially on the pull-up. He's an extremely underrated passer and playmaker, averaged six uh, assists a game in Summer League. Um, and if you watch the, the film, he's um, that's really an area he excels at, especially for his size. Um, he's phenomenal in transition, um, got really good ball handling skills for his size. And he's bigger than you think. He's a very solid 6'10". Um, his biggest question marks are defense. Um, but I think for the point of this take, I don't think... I think it's very easy to make the all-star team just if you're not good on defense still. Um, the only thing that, that normally hurts you is that your team could be worse. But um, I actually like the Magic this year. I think Franz Wagner is a, a candidate for most improved player. He's going to be uh, very solid. They've got some good pieces around those guys as well. Um, and if the Magic can be in the race for the plan, um, and it might surprise some people. Um, and I think that when teams surprise people, they get a little bit more media love. Um, similar to the Cavs last year, they kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it's not like they were top four seed or anything, but they ended up with two all-stars. Um, and so they might get, Magic might get rewarded with an all-star as well. And Paolo would probably be the leading candidate just based on um, what we've seen because he's um, he's going to get his. He's going to get his shots in. And I, as I said, I think he's going to be up to close to 20 points per game. But... Um, this definitely would be a rare occasion. So since 2000, this century, it's only happened two times that a rookie makes the All-Star game. Um, first one was Yao Ming in 2003, but a little different. He was international, and he'd been playing professionally for a few years already. Um, additionally, <laughs> with the fan voting, there was no way he was ever not going to be just based on um, the amount of support he had from China. And then Blake Griffin in 2011. Um, but a caveat there was actually his... It was technically his rookie season, but it was his second season being on the Clippers. Um, he was injured for his entire first year, um, as I'm sure many of you remember. So it would be quite an accomplishment for Paolo, probably a few years away. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb um, and say that he's got a chance to at least compete for an all-star. So next, I've this one's not overly unpopular probably, but um, I think the Kings will be clearly better than the Blazers this next season. Um, I mentioned the clear top nine in the West, and that leaves sort of the next tier is the Blazers and Kings. 
And I think most people prefer the Blazers just because Dame is back and he's been an all-star. The Blazers have been in the playoffs many times over the last decade. They've made a conference finals. And the Kings now have the longest playoff drought in all of the American professional sports. Um, I have no memory of them ever making the playoffs. That's how long it's been. But um, I'm just low on the Blazers. I have no idea how they're going to not be a terrible defensive team. If you just look at their guards... Anthony Simons is quite possibly the worst defender in the entire NBA. He's 6'3", and he's going to probably be guarding two guards next to Dame on a nightly basis. So he's going to be majorly undersized. Um, And even without that, I mean, he was playing some point guard last year, and he had a 121 defensive rating, which is just god-awful. His career defensive rating is 120. He's really bad on defense. Um, Dame as well, he's getting up there in age. He's 32. He's also only 6'2". He's a small guard. He's never been a great defender, but he was particularly bad in recent years. 117 defensive rating over the past three years. Much worse than um, earlier in his career. And I just don't know if this team is playing the top teams in the West. Like, who's guarding Morant? Who's guarding Booker? Who's guarding Steph? Who's guarding Luka? Like, who's going to guard those guys? Um, I don't know how they're not just going to totally feast on them all year long. Um (laughs) <laughs> and the only thing to maybe combat that is if they had a good uh, rim protector. But Nurkic, who's their center still, averaged 0.6 blocks per game last year, which is just terrible for a seven-footer. He can't stay healthy, and he, it looks like he's honestly lost a step since um, he's had all these injuries over the last few years. Um, he's he's kind of a defensive liability at this point. He used to be decent, but I don't know. I just don't see any sort of um, way they're going to be able to be even average on defense. Um, and we've seen this be the, the Blazers' Achilles heel in the like in the past as well. I know that year in the bubble, they were way behind from the playoffs. And they snuck in, but Dame was just going nuclear <laughs> for those 10 games in the bubble. Uh, I think eight games, sorry. But yeah, the reason they were so bad is because they were so bad on defense. And I think I don't see any reason why that wouldn't change, or that would change now. Um, also, their bench is just really bad. Um Gary Payton, who they signed from the Warriors, career 32% from three. Um, last year was his first season that he even averaged four points per game. At age 29, that's not really what you want to see. I'm not sure he's anything more than a 10-15 minute per game guy on a good team. We've got Shadon Sharp, um, who's barely played basketball <laughs> in the last two years. Didn't play at all last season. Uh, got hurt in summer league, so... He's not going to be ready to contribute right away. I am high on Sharp, but he's too young and hasn't played enough recently to contribute this year at least. Got Keon Johnson, who's a first-round pick last season, but shot 35% from the field as a rookie. Very inefficient, takes bad shots. Don't don't love him either. Justice Winslow, who used to be kind of decent, but he's on his fourth team in three years now, and he hasn't really gotten minutes any of those stops, so... Nasir Little, who has shown some flashes, but he's coming off an injury as well, so we'll see how quickly he's able to get up to speed. Um, and then you've got Eubanks, the the center they have. He's been basically a career bench warmer, and um, he really only played last year because they were tanking so hard. Now, if we look at the Kings, I actually really like some of their offseason additions. They finally added some guards that can shoot. Um, their top guards returning from last year are... Obviously, De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell, both of which are not good shooters. Um, but they added Malik Monk and Kevin Herter, who both are very good shooters. Uh, particularly Monk is 
Um, really good shooting, not phenomenal or anything else, but he's good enough where at that where he'll get a lot of minutes. Herter is also a very underrated ball handler, um, can play make a little bit, and he's got some size too. Um, but yeah, also a very good shooter, liked the addition of both of those. Also, their draft pick, Keegan Murray, appears to be very legit. Um, I had him as a bust, and I <laughs> season hasn't started, and I already think I was probably wrong about that. Um, he's leading his, them in uh, scoring in the preseason this year with 16 points per game in 21 minutes, and he's shooting 70% from the field and 70% from three. Um, he won the Summer League MVP. Um, I've even seen some uh, highlights of him running pick and roll, which is not something I thought he had in his bag. Um, so I was probably very wrong about him. He's probably going to be a very good player, but that bodes well for the Kings, obviously. Additionally, they'll have a full season of Damana Sabonis, who I still think is one of the most underrated players in the whole league since 2020, which is a three-season sample size. Um, he's made two all-star appearances, averaging 19, 12, and 6. Six assists is obviously great for a center, and 12 rebounds is as good as anyone in the league, close to 20 points per game. Shooting 55% from the field in that span, so very efficient. 31% from three, so he clearly can make it a little bit from there, but obviously he doesn't shoot a ton from there. It's not really, he's more of a back to basket type guy. So he also looked very good playing with Fox last season. And I just really like their seven, eight uh, man rotation with the starters of Fox, Herder, Barnes, Murray, and Sabonis, and then Mitchell, Monk, and Holmes as the top guys off the bench. I just like it. They've got guys with size. They've got some. They might not be great on defense, but they'll be better than the Blazers, for example. With guys like Barnes and uh, Murray, and Herder's a fine defender. Uh, Mitchell's not bad. Holmes is good. Um, and yeah, they've got shooting. They've got speed. They've got playmaking. Um, I don't think the Kings will make the playoffs, but I think this will be their most talented team that they've had um, probably in. 10 years or so, um, maybe since um, early DeMarcus Cousins' day. But even then, it wasn't like they had a lot of talent around him. And lastly, I think Giannis will cement himself as a top 15 player all time this season when he gets his second finals MVP. So I do think the Bucks will win the title this year. I think he will win. He will be the MVP of the series. So we're going to go ahead and assume... That does happen for the point of this take. Um, the take being that he would be considered a top 15 player, which sounds a little crazy because he's only 20, um, 27 right now. But, so if assuming he stays healthy, he's obviously going to make all-star, all-NBA, um, all that stuff. So he would have seven all-stars, seven all-NBAs, two uh, championships, two finals MVPs, two regular season MVPs, two defensive player of the years, and five or six all-defensive def- teams, depending if he made it this year. Um, so I'm going to ignore most of that stuff and just look at the the finals MVPs um, and then the MVPs. So the only players in NBA history that have two or more finals MVPs are um, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Larry Bird, Tim Duncan, Hakeem Olajuwon, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and Willis Reed. I am going to add two players to this list with the caveat, um, Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell. Just because the finals MVPs didn't exist back then, obviously the the award's named after Bill Russell, so pretty sure he would have won a couple of those. Um, (laughs) uh, And same with Wilt. He had two championships where he was 
clearly the best player on the team. So I'm going to go ahead and say Wilt would get two as well. So that's <laughs> basically 12 of the 13 best players all time. And then Kawhi and Willis Reed, I think, are um, obviously not at that level, but they're also on the list. But if you had to do the top 13 of all time, those 12 are on there, and then probably Steph is the one missing. But he's only missing because he only has one finals MVP, but you really could argue he has two. He probably should have won it in 2015 um, when Iguodala got it. So clearly that's a prestigious list. Um, and then when you add in... Um, Winning your two MVPs. So all of those guys also won regular season MVPs, except for Kawhi Leonard. He's got the weirdest career ever, but that we'll get in. I won't get into that now. So among those guys that have won two MVPs, that removes Kobe, Shaq, Durant, Willis Reed, and Hakeem. Those guys all only had one. So that leaves Kareem, LeBron, MJ, Magic, Bird, Duncan, Wilt, and Russell. And there's a legitimate case to be made that those are the singular top eight best players of all time. Um, I'm not saying they definitely are. They wouldn't be. I think I would have some variations, but there's certainly an argument that those are the top eight. Um, so for Giannis to be on the list with those guys at the age of 28, it's how could you not say he's not at least on pace to get to that group and be top 10? Um, he's obviously still got a lot of career left. You'd be hard pressed to argue 20 or even 15 players will be better than him if he were to win it this year. And he obviously doesn't have the counting stats of all those guys, um, but he's certainly on pace to hit some of them. I know he started a little slower in his career, um, and that might be really the only thing holding him back from top 10. But just for example, um, Curry, who most people view as top 10 at this point. I know back end of the top 10, but most people think he's top 10 after winning this year. He's an eight-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA. So only two more than Giannis has right now. But he's seven years older than Giannis, so it's, it's going to be pretty easy for him to at least catch, if not surpass him at that point. If we're looking at total points, he's got 6,000, roughly more than Giannis, um, which isn't that much. It's actually only four seasons of averaging 20 points per game, which Giannis will obviously average way more than 20 over the next four seasons. And obviously I know that's would have to be after Curry's out of the league, but Curry is uh, 34 now, I believe. So he's getting up there in age. Who knows how long he's going to play? He's not really slowing down yet. But I also think Giannis is going to get major extra points for a few things. So he's winning in a small market. He's never switched teams. He's never played with a single other Hall of Famer, um, specifically not one in their prime. Um, and he's never had a Hall of Fame coach. In fact, I could argue he's never had anything other than a slightly above league average coach. Um, and those other eight guys that I mentioned, they all had all those things. So Kareem played with Magic Johnson, James Worthy, and he had uh, Pat Riley as a coach, all Hall of Famers, um, very big names. LeBron uh, had Dwayne Wade as a teammate, Hall of Famer. Um, who knows if Davis and Kyrie will get in? Maybe one of them, maybe both. I, I don't know, but they could make it, but we don't know yet. But regardless, very good players. Um, same with coaching Spolstra I think will probably make it as a coach if he um, coaches for a bit longer which um, I don't see why he wouldn't so LeBron will have had at least one Hall of Fame head coach and Ty Lue maybe down the road who knows he's, he's looked really good so far but he's super early so I'm not even going to mention that really but Jordan had Pippen and Rodman and Phil Jackson as uh, his head coach all Hall of Famers 
Magic had Kareem and Worthy um, with Pat Riley as well, similarly to Kareem. Um, and Kareem also had Oscar Robinson, sorry, when he played in um, Milwaukee as well. Um, Bird had McHale and Parrish. Um, and then as far as coaches go, Bill Fitch is a Hall of Famer. Casey Jones was not, actually not in the Hall of Fame, but he was named a top 15 um, coach all time when they released the, the NBA released those um, uh, last year. And then he had Red Arbach as an executive who obviously made the Hall of Fame as a coach and an executive. And then Duncan had David Robinson. And then Parker and Ginobili, who probably will both get into the Hall of Fame, and Kawhi, who will definitely get in as well. Um, and then obviously Greg Popovich, Hall of Fame coach. Wilt had Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Gail Goodrich, all Hall of Famers. Um, and though he didn't win with any of these guys, he did have I, – I was looking through this. I guess everyone was making the Hall of Fame back then. <laughs> he played with like – eight different Hall of Famers. Um, I know there was a lot less teams, so that probably makes sense. I'm not going to name them all. But he also had two Hall of Fame coaches in uh, Alex Hannum and Bill Sharman. And then Bill Russell had Bob Cousy, John Havlicek. Um, similarly to Wilt, had other um, Hall of Fame teammates, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, um, Tommy Heinsohn, etc. Um, and then Red Arbach was his coach as well. So all these guys have had Hall of Fame coaches and teammates to get the two titles um, and the two MVPs. Giannis has had none of that, so if he were to accomplish that, it would put him in a pretty rare company, um, especially given how talented the league is right now. Um, would just be really impressive. So I, I do think the Bucks will win it this year. I think Giannis obviously would win finals MVP if that was the case, and I could see him being vaulted into that top 15. Thank you so much for listening. That's going to do it for my list of unpopular opinions and or hot takes. So I know the season's starting next week, so I am actually going to release my Eastern Conference and Western Conference previews and predictions at some point this week um, before the season starts. So if you're interested to see where I have your team placed, give it a listen. I'll definitely be talking about all 30 teams um, across both those podcasts. So thanks again for listening, and I will chat with you soon.